0: This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters, Amy Swan, Blake Pops, Greg Bench, Joel Robertson, Jonathan Edge, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all, now on to the
1: episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings, and I am joined as always by my trusty
0: sidekick, Jackson, the Son, and please rise for Canada's national anthem.
1: We are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we cover. And for the new year, 2021, and thank God it will soon be here, we are covering Terror Train from 19. 19- 20th Century Fox invites you to join the boys and girls of Sigma Phi for their annual New Year's Eve party. This year is a masquerade on wheels, and the person behind you could be your best friend or the last person you see on Earth. Experience the most terrifying ride of your life on the Terror Train, rated R. Starts October 3rd at a selected theater near you. All right. Terror Train, the IMDb synopsis reads, Three years after a prank went terribly awry, the six college students responsible are targeted by a masked killer at a New Year's Eve party aboard a moving train. What do you think?
0: Did it go terribly awry or did it go exactly how they wanted it to and the person reacted in the wrong way?
1: That's probably more accurate. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So, but but I mean, what? That's the best you're gonna get. That that's a pretty good summary, I would say, from my Yeah. Yeah, it, and that summary alone, and I think the biggest. We'll get into this, but the biggest problem with the movies how predictable it is, and that summary alone kind of tells you how the movie is gonna go. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm we excited need, to talk about this.
1: We need Peter Nielsen here to talk about the back of a VHS and and read the synopsis yes. from that. And and by the way, Peter. Uh, you were just on the Phantom Galaxy, which I just listened to, our buddy Nathan Barterball and Big Bill Van Vagel's podcast, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And you can make their podcast on Sunday, but not ours. <laughs> shame for shame. Shame on you, Peter. <clears throat> shame on you. Uh, Thor can do better than that. Anyway, so um, Jackson, when did you first see Terra Train?
0: I think the first time I saw it was with you. I don't remember when. I th- I, th- I was over at your house. I don't remember what the occasion was. Did we watch New Year's Evil and Terror Train on the same
1: night? I think we did. Yeah, we were okay. looking for a New Year's horror movie, and I think we watched both back-to-back, yeah.
0: That might have been the first time I saw it. And what a way to see it. You watch New Year's Evil, and then you watch this. Um, yeah, uh, this is my second time watching it, a rewatch today. Um, I watched it on Prime. And I had a lot of fun with it, but at the same time, I do have some issues. I see a lot of promise with this movie. It had a lot of potential. And in a few places it faltered, but for the most part, it's really fun.
1: All right. So I saw it on VHS back in the 80s, probably, probably around 84 or so, you know, 84, 85. So let's talk about the, the plot and the screenplay. Um, Pinned by T.Y. Drake. I don't think that's a pseudonym mainly a TV writer who did an episode of MacGyver. Um, so we have Derek McKinnon who plays Kenny and Jamie Lee Curtis who plays Elena and they, the, her sorority sisters and their, what do you call it? Allied fraternity, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I didn't join a frat in, in college cause I was busy working, but, um, yeah. Well, I don't know
0: how you would say it. I guess you would say brother fraternity, but I know that whenever whatever. it's but yeah. when it's between two um uh it's it's sister, you know, whatever. You get the idea.
1: Yeah. So, they convince her to pretend to seduce Kenny, but in fact, they've placed a fresh cadaver in the bed, and Kenny freaks out. And then after we get the credits, we get the big in bold block letters Three years later, (laughs) the same frat and sorority charter a party train, Mm -hmm. which I didn't know was a thing, uh, and they begin to be picked off one by one. Is there really much more to say about the plot? Nope.
0: That's the premise. That's really all you need. I mean, it's just like Halloween. All the best slashers have a very simple premise. Um, And I think think the, the... the reason for the premise is just to get them on the train it's just to get them to the setting it's like oh they love to party look they're partying in the beginning now they're partying three years later nothing's changed um i think that's pretty much they they had to work around they were like terror train that's a really cool title now let's work around it to get them on the train um so the plot isn't really important, nor are the characters because none of the characters except for <laughs> Al- Elena and doc, I think Elena and doc are the only characters that really have, and maybe the conductor, but they're really the yes. only characters that have any character to them. The rest of them are just kind of 2d, um, uh, ex- like exposition spurters. Um, even Mo. And I think Mo is the closest we get to a 3d character except for doc and Elena, but even he is pretty flat. Um, So it doesn't really matter about the characters. It doesn't really even matter about the story at all or the dialogue. It's really about the killer and how creepy he looks and the uh, star power of Jamie Lee Curtis.
1: So we're probably going to run through this plot pretty quickly. But uh, let's just say uh, for those who have seen Terror Train and we warned you that this is a spoiler podcast. There's not much suspense in guessing who the killer is, right?
0: Not at all. No, no, not at all. Because, I mean, why else would they have that cold open if it wasn't related to the rest of the thing? Um, so, And they talk about it so often. They're like, oh, he just couldn't handle it. We played an innocent prank, that's all. They wouldn't keep bringing it up if it wasn't important. Um, and the twist comes not from you knowing who it is, but you knowing who he is. You know what I mean? Like, who the guy they know did it. Looks like like what he looks like and who his Identity is that's more the thing Because um, there's a red Herring that is pretty much Kept like as the Main um, theory Of the characters until the very end They they all know that it's This character but they don't know what he looks like and they Think it's this one character but it turns out to be another Uh, So that's where the suspense Comes from not from not knowing who The killer is but from not knowing what he looks Like
1: Okay so what did you think of the killer because unlike most slashers or proto slashers um the killer changes masks Mm -hmm. right we don't have it's not like michael myers who wears the same mask all the time right what did you think of that
0: i like it i like it it's interesting um and it makes sense because that's a costume party Um, So it would have been weird if he would have kept the the, costume the entire time. And I think the reason he changes costumes is because I think after a while they would catch on that one guy wearing a Groucho mask... Uh, Costume is going around killing people So stay away from him So when he transitions into Jackson's lizard Costume and then later into The magician's assistant and then later Into the conductor it always keeps you guessing As to who the killer is at any given point Because the actor who plays him is kind of A chameleon Uh, unless you really Look hard I don't think you can Tell that the magician's assistant is him If you've never seen the movie before Um, So he's kind of a chameleon he blends In really well until he reveals himself at the end Um so yeah, I I really liked that aspect, and I think it would have been boring if he had been Groucho mask or Mark's the entire time. If he had had that mask on, or if he had just gone without a mask. So it's interesting, and it's he doesn't just wear a mask. He wears the full costume of whoever he takes the the thing from. Like at the end, he's wearing I guess Mo's outfit because I saw the feathers from the parrot. Mm-hmm. So he takes the whole outfit. So that's interesting. It's not just like um like uh like Jason I guess who he's, he has a different mask in parts two and three but it's basically the same kind of hick outfit um yeah so I think it keeps it pretty refreshing it keeps it um it, it keeps it fresher than it would be if you know what I'm saying I've, I've pretty much said it already um I think it sets it apart definitely from something like Halloween or um or, Texas
1: chainsaw masks or Texas chainsaw for or... sure
0: yeah and they tried to do that with Texas Chainsaw. Like, Leatherface does look different in every movie, but I like a totally different look. It, it, that A lot of suspense does come from that.
1: But did you think, and we'll get to the kills themselves in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I will go ahead and say, so don't, I don't want to make people mad. I don't want Greg Mortis thinking I'm crapping on this film. I will go ahead and say it. I like this movie. Mm-hmm. But did you think it was ever really suspenseful? Uh, and a few, a few key parts. Okay. Um, like, I think, like Jamie Lee Curtis in the cage, or?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis in the cage. I like the part where she's in the dresser waiting to stab, uh, um, the killer. I like that part. I did find the scene where, um, where Doc is in the room and he's checking all the things. He's checking all the cupboards and locking all the doors. I found that a little suspenseful, but I knew where it was going because I had seen it before. Um... I don't remember how he reacted on the first time, but that glinting underneath the bed that he thinks is the killer, and then right. it comes out from behind him, that's a pretty good setup. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't call it overly suspenseful because I know we're about to talk about the kills, but the kills aren't overly graphic. So you're not like, oh, he's going to these people apart until we get to Doc, I guess. And we'll talk about that kill because I, I have some things to say about it.
1: All right. So yeah, I, the only parts I thought were really suspenseful, and... Were really that cage scene with Jamie Lee Curtis? I thought was was really good. <clears throat> Other than that, I didn't find it that suspenseful. Now, don't get mad at me, horror family. I did. I still think this movie's fun. I think it's a fun movie. Let's get to the kills. The kills. If you're looking for overly inventive kills, as a pe- a lot of people do in 80s slashers, I I was never one of them. But. You know, if you're looking for Jason with the sleeping bag, you know, or, you know, somehow defying physics and, and Bob hanging from a kitchen knife from, you know, a door, this is not it, right? No, not at all.
0: Um, the kills aren't very creative, and that's my biggest strike against this movie. They're not very creative. They're not be- very shocking or graphic either. Um, lots of dried blood, lots of blood splatters. But not a lot of interesting wounds. Um, you're not going to get that that like fun flasher kill. The the most fun that comes out of it, I guess, is like how the people discover the bodies. But even then, it's not overly graphic. Like when the conductor uh, finds Jackson's body in the lizards. Oh, suit, I want to
1: talk about that. Yeah,
0: it's just blood on the wall, and he feels on the costume, and there's blood. So it's not it's it's not like you see his like throat like. It and his gut spilling out or anything none of that it's pretty much just a lot of blood and implied violence but um yeah i, I do like creative kills but i'm fine with it in this movie because this movie kind of feels a little bit more family friendly there's only one scene with nudity the the profanity isn't that in, there's drug use but again it was 1980 so i don't know how uh, offensive that would have been at that point but um yeah I don't know. It feels a little bit toned down. It doesn't feel like overly sexed up, overly profane or overly violent. It's just kind of a good, clean slasher.
1: So I want to talk about Jackson's death for a minute. Mm -hmm. Jackson is wearing a thick lizard man monster suit. Yeah. The killer, which the worst spoiler podcast, we've told you there's no surprise here. It's Kenny from the Mm -hmm. opening scene. Right, Kenny is a bucko five. He is (laughs) not a big guy. Jackson looks like he's in pretty good shape. Plus, he's wearing a thick uh, outfit with a mask. Kenny slams him into a mirror and kills him. Mm -hmm. With blood everywhere.
0: Yeah, I got the idea that... I mean, I got the the impression that that wasn't the only thing that killed him. I think that he also, like, after... um, after the camera leaves that scene that he also cut him up a little bit, but yeah.
1: But I'm thinking that if you're wearing a thick mask like that and and a guy who weighs 105 pounds, you know, pushes you into a mirror, you just turn around and go, Oh buddy. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're packing a 44. You know, we're going and Jackson's is going to rip him apart, drunk or not. Mm -hmm. I watched it again today and I said aloud to uh, Ben Johnson's character when he discovered the body, you know, and then that's another thing. Ben Johnson's character. I don't know what happened. I'm like, (laughs) I was screaming at the screen. That was no train accident.
0: (laughs) Mm hmm.
1: You know, come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, that you have
0: to suspend your disbelief a little bit with that scene. Um... And I I would have appreciated if maybe the killer had outsmarted Jackson rather than just like brute forced it. Maybe he tricked him into falling off the train or something. I don't know. But he has to have the costume. So that doesn't really make much sense. Yeah, it's definitely or maybe the train really did rock. And uh, and Kenny uses that as an advantage. He's kind of put off his balance because he's drunk and the train just rocked and he pushes him into the mirror and then he cuts him up or something. I don't know. But it, the way it's presented, yeah, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. You have to suspend your disbelief with all of the kills. I mean, you've got the, the guy, the, the coal shoveler guy in the engineering right. room. Uh, you, all the people he kills could probably take him, honestly, um, if they weren't surprised. And I think that's what you're supposed to infer, yeah, that they were so, surprised and it. killed.
1: If you haven't seen it, Kenny's no Schwarzenegger in Predator, right? No, no, not at all. He's about my, uh, he's got my build, I would say. Um, yeah, yeah, he's and not I as could tall as you. You're take. over six feet tall, but he's okay. like five, eight. You right. know, literally, I, 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 generously, I'm saying 120 pounds. Yeah, he's about Jamie Lee Curtis' the size, I would say, in that movie. They're about equals. Um, and the reason he's scary and, isn't and because. Let, Well, yeah, but Jamie could take him in a straight-up fist fight. I mean, she would just knock his butt out. I believe it. So, the kills are not that inventive. They're not that gory either, right? No,
0: no. And I feel like, I don't know, do you get the impression that this is a ratings board type thing where they toned it down a little bit? I don't know, because, I mean, okay,
1: so, this was, Jamie Lee Curtis shot Prom Night and Terror Train basically back-to-back. Right in Canada, both in Canada, yeah. And in prom night, we at least get a decapitation scene, right, where they roll the head out. There's yeah, not we a, get a. Well, we get you get a head rolled out here, but it's it's not as gory as prom head. night. No,
0: there's no blood, and that's. I, I wanted to go ahead and talk about it. We we've kind of moved on to the from the kill, but uh, Doc is killed, and that fake head looks awful. That is probably the worst fake head. Uh, maybe tied with Friday the 13th Part 3. That is the worst fake head I've ever seen in my life. It's so pale and, like, plastic, and there's no blood at all, so it really doesn't sell the effect Yeah, It is definitely, compared to Prom Night, uh, I would say it's more comparable to Halloween, which came out earlier. You would think that this would be gorier, but nope.
1: I wish we would have had Big Bill on here, because he always is defending Canadian horror, but he loves his gore. It'd be interesting to know what he... Thinks about this and yeah, also yeah, there's some what, conflict there yeah so um <clears throat> shout out to big bill we love him but um the director is roger spottiswood mm-hmm. who had worked his way up in the business from like crew to editorial assistant to um editor to this as a director um after this, he wrote the original screenplay for 48 hours with Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Oh, nice. And then he would go on to direct Turner and Hooch with Tim, ha- uh, with uh, sorry, Tim, gosh. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long week, folks. Um, with Tom Hanks. And also mm-hmm. a really underrated ac- 80s action movie, which I don't know if you've seen, called Shoot to Kill. With Sidney Portier mm-hmm. and Tom Berenger and Kirstie Alley and Clancy Brown.
0: No, I haven't seen it.
1: But oh, I, I think I judged you need to see it. It's
0: I think I judge this director. I think I judged him a little too quickly because I saw that he also had the sixth day starring Arnold Schwarzenegger on his resume. Yes. Uh, yes which yes. I saw I saw the ad for, uh, and that movie looks insane. But yeah, uh so I mean good quality action I, work on here.
1: I give a lot of leeway to Bond directors um and to schwarzenegger directors
0: mm-hmm.
1: because he did uh the bond movie tomorrow never dies but everybody knows that the broccoli family controls the bond movies right also arnold schwarzenegger after he became a superstar in the late 80s controls his movies mm-hmm. so i, I cutting some slack there
0: yeah yeah i understand yeah um and I, 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 I think the thing I was most impressed with in this movie was the directing, uh, was the, the camera work and the lighting especially. I think that's this movie's biggest um, – the, the biggest thing it's got going for it is the lighting because I know how hard it is to light a cramped scene, uh, a scene in a cramped setting. And this entire movie takes place on a train and right. it's lit really well really interestingly lots of greens and blues you got the like the hues of color in the party cars and even in the the more conventional like just like sitting down passenger cars the use of color the reds and like the the maroons and everything it's very right. cozy i think that that's the best way i would describe this movie cozy it's cold it's chilly but inside the train it's really cozy and i think that's what i needed today with it being like 24 degrees outside which for uh, bill would probably be you know like oh it's summer but uh for for me he's walking out, the dog out, out there it's like cousin eddy exactly yeah he's-, yeah he's like it's time to camp uh no <laughs> i i go out four times a day to walk my dog and that's it because it is cold um but yeah i, I and i definitely feel for the production of this as Well, taking place in Canada with a lot of outdoor shots and everything, it must have been really, really cool to film this movie. So the directing, I give a huge commendation towards um and i yeah i definitely for me and you may not feel this way because prom night got by the censors but i feel like this movie was cut down a little bit because that shot of the decapitated head as bad as that effect is it's only on screen for like a split second and i feel like in the 80s they were gonna milk that for every every second they could get by the ratings board so i get the feeling that this movie was really, really cut down. We have one scene of nudity. We have very few and far between profanity. The use of drugs is used, but it's a college movie, so that makes sense. Um, and it, it, it's just, it, it's a little bit more family-friendly than Prom Night. Um, so I, I get the feeling that it was cut
1: down and that the director was bossed around by his investors and stuff, so. Um, well, he I he was. Like- there are stories about that, like, a couple days into shooting, the producer said, "We need to cut five pages from the script." And yeah. so yeah. You're right. Um, but you brought up the cinematography. Mm-hmm. Would it shock you, the cinematographer for this film, John Alcott, who died young, 1986? Uh, mm-hmm. But he was a cinematographer for Stanley Kubrick on Barry Lyndon and The Clockwork Orange. Really? Yep.
0: I think I I think I I think I get it. Um yeah, I don't know. It, it now one one thing that this movie reminded me of was, was the shining because of that winter setting with the cozy inside. But yeah, I can definitely see him doing like Barry Linden. Yeah, cool. I didn't know that. And sad that he died young, but he's got some good work on, on yep. his resume.
1: He was the lighting cameraman. He did the lighting on a clockwork orange. Mm -hmm. He was a cinematographer on Barry Lyndon for uh, Mm -hmm. Kubrick. He worked as one of the either, I, I can't tell from IMDb if he was the cinematographer or the assistant cinematographer, good call on The Shining. Oh, cool. Yeah, it makes sense. And
0: all of those movies that you just said, you know, they're very well lit. So now it makes sense as to why this movie, I think it's so well lit um yeah it definitely makes sense and while this is no kubrick material it definitely elevates yeah. it that it looks this good
1: yeah absolutely i agree that yeah there's great lighting he used a lot of dimmer switches um and they they did shoot this at night mm-hmm. in the freezing cold in montreal yep so <clears throat> in the winter of 1979 released in 1980 so good call on that and yeah it, in fact the cameras kept freezing up
0: yeah yeah I believe it yeah uh, my and this is just a personal thing uh, the other day I went outside to get some shots on my uh, on my porch and my camera battery died from 100% going out in the cold it died that quickly and I can only imagine how stressful that would be on a film set because every minute you waste is thousands of dollars down the drain so um, yeah that would definitely be be really stressful and I commend them for shooting on location and you can tell it pays off it looks really really authentic. It, it makes you feel like you're on that train and you definitely wouldn't have gotten that if they had shot on the on the sound stage and had the actors like jiggle well, around hello. like they're on a <clears> the train.
1: <throat> we'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, uh, um, oh no, don't ruin oh, it for yeah. me. I'm sorry. We'll talk about that in a second, but yeah, it is very well lit. I think it's very well shot. And what did you think of the editing because Roger Spottieswood started as i said he went from a pa to an assistant editor to an editor Mm -hmm. to a director yep do you think it shows uh
0: uh, i i i guess so i wasn't blown away by the editing in this movie he
1: worked as an editor for sam peckinpah one of the greatest directors of all time so
0: there was one editing thing that bothered me in this movie actually one shot and it right. was the only thing that bothered me. The rest of it was serviceable. But in the part where David Copperfield is doing magic and he does that coin trick with the uh, peanuts or whatever, that dispenser. Okay. Yeah. He it's a wide shot of him standing in front of the dispenser. And then it cuts in to the same wide shot but closer up. Like they just cropped into the same shot of him putting something into, th- and I have to guess that that was the editing obscuring something that David Copperfield did, and it kind of bugged me because when they cropped in, it was lower quality than it was at the wide shot, which makes sense because it wasn't a new shot. Um, watch it, and it literally cuts the same shot from wide to close up in the same shot. It's like a, it's like they artificially zoomed in, um, and that did bother me, but that was the only thing that bothered me about the editing. I think the rest of it was really... Um, Uh, serviceable i like the way that it cut between the conductor and the engine room and stuff in between that and the party um it broke it up really well made it feel like time was passing so that was really good um i think the the editing during the horror scenes was serviceable definitely during that scene where uh jamie lee's in the cage that sequence reminded me of split i don't it reminds you of that as well. But the end of the split kind of has a similar scenario where the main character mm. is inside of a cage and the beast is outside knocking down the lights and coming towards her. So it's very similar. I wonder if that was inspired by, um, by Terror Train, but I actually doubt that. But um, Well, Unite yeah, is a horror
1: fan, so maybe. True.
0: Yeah. Editing serviceable, I would say, with a few moments of genius and a few moments of lackluster performance. Really? Mm hmm. That's just, and, and the, again, this is me, come, r- c- cynical me coming off of being frustrated with editing something that did not turn out as well as I hoped it had, <laughs> so now whenever I w- watch a movie and I'm paying close attention to the editing, I'm like, so who says they did such a good job watching it? Uh, and again, I mean, I, once you see enough movies, you, you're you really cynical about these kinds of things, so I don't know. that Maybe that, that shot won't bother most people, but it, it go back and watch it. That part is kind of that with the, the magic trick?
1: Well, I'm looking up the editor's filmography. Um, not a lot of work. Okay. Well, so,
0: I imagine that the director, being an editor, had a lot of say in it, that he was probably in the editing bay, kind of backseat driving. because that, that seems like how it goes, especially whenever you have editing or visual effects guys that become directors. They're very involved with the post-production process. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, I i don't know why it bothered me and but again, they're moments of genius. I really think that the horror scenes are uh, edited together well
1: Well, and let me tell you this just as fatherly advice um, you want to go to film school, you want to be a director, but I'm just saying if you start out as an editor, you have a lot of power and you can work your way up, and I'd be very proud of you because you have you have the often especially with low budget movies the final say and how it turns out so just saying and you've got a lot of experience in editing so
0: yep yeah that's definitely a lot more accessible than being like i'm a big time director give me a feature uh it's definitely a lot better to be you know assistant editor or whatever than work your way up yeah i could i could definitely see that happening
1: you're good at editing buddy i know you 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 are very good at editing you do editing for uh, my wife Megan's nonprofit. You do editing for uh, a university. You do. You've done a lot of editing. You, you you're pretty good at it.
0: I, it's not my passion, though. I will say that. I know. Uh, I, I know.
1: I'm just saying it gets your foot in the door. You know? It is a good end.
0: It definitely is a good end, and it's better than starting as a, a PA or whatever. So Absolutely. if that's a, if that's a career path for me, definitely I would love that. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I I do appreciate the the jobs that people do on on, uh, film sets. And even when there's something I don't like, and I'll point it out in the movie, I'll say I'm sure there's a reason for it. I'm not just gonna say these people are bad and and, and incompetent, and they can never do a good thing. I'm gonna point out why I think it was done. Like like what I said with the the shot that bothered me in this movie. I, I think it was done because David Copperfield was like, you know what, I, I don't like how artificial that looks. Crop in a little bit to, to give it more of a close-up magic feel. Um, so, yeah, but that did bother me. Well, I, um, I will and just I, did, say, I wasn't
1: wowed. I will just say. So, take a movie like Blade Runner. Yeah. I am more impressed with the editor, the production designer, the costume designer... Um, everyone in the crew that I am with the directing and the screenwriting just saying
0: Yeah. I would agree. yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, because and- just for an example, with Blade Runner, mm-hmm. um did you ever notice that in the opening scene there the, the you have a Blade Runner testing people to see if they're replicants, mm-hmm. and then a few scenes later? they have pictures of the replicants yeah
0: you well yeah we talked about this before yeah that's i'm just saying
1: problem. that's a flaw yeah
0: yeah for sure and uh well blade runner might not be the best example editing wise because there are like 18 cuts of that movie so what are you talking about the
1: theatrical one the ridley scott I, one, yeah i can't like 18 of that them. i i'm just saying that's always bugged me when people are like blade runner is the greatest movie ever and i'm like yeah, I love it. Rudger Hauer especially is incredible in it. It has one of the best endings ever. It looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Explain to me that first scene. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, every movie has flaws in it. There is no perfect movie. I we understand, time and time again.
1: but Ridley Scott's a smart enough guy. was like, wait a minute. That doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. So, right. okay. Anyway, let's move on to the cast. Yes. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. as Elena.
0: What did you think? Yeah. Uh, not her best role, but she's good in this. She's got a few really great moments. Uh, most of her like uh, standout moments, I think, are her interactions with Mo and Doc, whereas the rest of the thing, she's just kind of starry-eyed and like, wow, what's this? What's this? What's going on? Um, I do like her interactions with her peers. Um, Uh yeah she's good in it But I don't think she was given a lot to do Elena is not a 3D character I would say she does like she doesn't have A lot of character traits she's kind of just Jamie Lee Curtis um And I understand that she's got a troubled backstory She was traumatized by that prank as well You know whatever uh But she definitely doesn't Feel that fleshed out Whereas I think Doc starts out As a 2D character and becomes a little bit more 3D I think he's got more to do in this Movie um but, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis, she's never bad. I've never seen her in anything and been like, woof, that was just awful. But uh, this is definitely right, not her best role. There's a
1: movie called Perfect with her and John Travolta, mm-hmm. which, in my opinion, is a dumpster fire. It's a terrible <laughs> movie. But she yeah. is still good in it. And John yeah. Travolta is good in it. It's just a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've never seen her in a bad part either. I, I always think she brings it... Um, we will get to this, Lord willing, this October, but I still think her best performance, other than a, maybe A Fish Called Wanda, was in Halloween 2018. Really? Okay. Hmm. I think she's fantastic as the traumatized, alcoholic, but still strong Lori Strode in Halloween 2018.
0: Hmm. My favorite performance from her from the Halloween series is H2O. Um, but- really? Really?
1: Yeah, but I mean, all yeah, right. There's good. we're gonna cover this, but there's one scene in that that bugs me.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to talk about the Halloween series in preparation for Halloween Kills. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. But in this movie, she's all right. I mean, th- she's not given a lot. Like, there's no line of dialogue from her where it's like, "Wow, no, we know that nothing awesome.
1: about her. We know, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah." And and like I said, I feel like Doc, and we'll talk about him. But I feel like he's the best character in the movie, even though he's a jerk. He's he's the most.
1: Well, written. well, and he wasn't really acting according to his fellow castmates. Makes members. sense. Anyway, and we'll talk about his uh, other roles. We'll so. talk about. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about David Copperfield, who was listed simply as the magician. Yeah. And he vowed never to do another feature film after his experience on this set. What do you think of David Copperfield? I mean, he's
0: he's doing magic. He's David Copperfield. He's not bad. He's not distracting. I mean, it's a little distracting that it's David Copperfield, but I mean, this early in his career, I don't know. It's not.
1: It, it, it People didn't matter. know him then. That it, that came later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So I don't know. I I feel like he's okay. Uh, some of the magic he does, I like the dime trick he does. I don't know how he does that. Uh, I didn't look into it. But the the dime trick with the cigarette that was a pretty cool little trick. Um.
1: Yeah, nobody but Penn and Teller tells you how they do their tricks, yeah. Right,
0: right. Uh, I'm sure somebody's made a YouTube video about it, though, but I, I, I don't know. I kind of like the illusion of it. I'm going to keep it that way. But, yeah, that's a good trick. I I kind of like the red herring. The movie would have been more interesting if he was a killer, but not better. Um, <laughs> I think it definitely would be that movie where David Copperfield is a killer. Um, so I'm glad they didn't. But then again, it probably would have been remembered better it would have been more popular if david copperfield had been the killer i think definitely on its vhs release later on it would have been a lot of people like what's that one movie where david copperfield is a killer um but yeah hmm. uh, I, I do like it i do like him in this movie i like the tricks he does but he ultimately leads to nothing he's just a big red herring so he's kind of pointless but whatever uh he's the thing you remember
1: yeah, I kind of before, you know, when I was thinking it through, because I haven't seen it in a while, not since we watched it. And I just didn't remember it. Um, I I wrote my notes and I deleted it. Is he just filler?
0: <laughs> yeah, he kind of is. I mean, he doesn't lead to anything. And it seems with the magic. I mean, you have the the assistant, right, who turns out to be at least part of the way through the movie after he transitions out of Jackson's lizard suit. I think that's just him from then on. That's Kenny from then on, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he kind of serves a purpose. He's a red herring, and he facilitates the apprentice uh, becoming being taken over the costume, being taken over by um, uh, by Kenny. But right. yeah, he's, he's kind of just there to fill the themes and add a little bit of levity and add a little bit of magic to it. Um, he is he is definitely filler because this party seems would be very boring if there wasn't somebody doing magic during them. Right
1: now, I I actually called fifteen minutes before we started recording. I called my younger sister, your aunt Amy, mm-hmm. and I asked her when did we see David Copperfield because your grandmother took your aunt Amy and I to see David Copperfield live. Cool, and she guessed that she was ten and I was twelve. So this would been about nineteen eighty four. Mm -hmm. And we saw them in the Ohio Theater in Columbus, Ohio, which seats a few thousand people. It was early evening. And he did this trick where he was on stage and he pulled up a sheet. And three seconds later, he was standing next to me. I was on the aisle seat. Wow. Yeah. I still have no idea how he did that. Like I said, you could probably find it on YouTube. I have no idea how he did that.
0: Ah, uh, yeah what was he yeah i don't know i don't want to dissect it right now but I, I can probably think of some way like a mask or something i don't
1: know uh interesting, I, yeah, yeah i don't know i i just remember that very vividly mm-hmm. and of course this is 1984 before i'm guessing it's 1984 uh i would have been about 12 years old and i'm uh, there was no internet we had no way to you know look this up mm-hmm. but that was the one thing i remember from that like hour and 15 minute show Was that, like, he was on stage, and then a few seconds later, he was standing next to me. Yeah, that's cool.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Good magician, David Copperfield. Was he the one that made the Statue of Liberty disappear? Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, obviously he's got some talent, I guess, (laughs) even though it was probably a camera trick. Um, uh, Yeah, I... I have been. Yeah, I don't know how he did it. I I enjoy him in this movie. I'd imagine that there's a lot of uh, editing trickery in this movie because there's one scene where he's standing in the middle of the crowd, pulls a sheet up on one side of him, and then the the assistant comes out from behind the sheet. So the people behind the sheet – Wait a minute. Yeah, the people behind the sheet definitely had to see what he was doing. So there is a lot of editing. And like I said with that editing where it went from a wide to the same – wide shot but close up that right. was to hide something i don't know what it was but maybe the the cast didn't see it like jamie lee didn't see it but he did and that bothered him so um yeah i don't know uh he's fine in this movie definitely not a great performance because he doesn't do anything but uh yeah it, it's kind of fun it, it, it's very much of its time
1: so we need to talk about <laughs> oscar winner mm-hmm. ben johnson yeah Known for John Ford Westerns, is mm. in this. Yeah, and he's great. <laughs> he is great. He befriended director Roger Spottiswoode on the set of The Getaway, where he was part of the crew. What did you think of Ben Johnson as, is it Karn or Carnay or whatever? He's the train master. What mm-hmm. did you think of him? Uh, yeah, really good. Uh, I, I liked him. He's very
0: um i don't know he's kind of like sam loomis in the fact that he knows what's going on before anybody else does but also he's not because he's <laughs> not well very he thinks competent. david copperfield
1: is the is the killer that's what right, he thinks,
0: right? uh he does he or is jamie well, he lee locks to him, him in
1: he locks him in that train car uh
0: yeah eventually right after jamie yeah. lee tells him but i i i yeah um He's, I mean, he's pretty good, I guess. He's very gullible if he thinks that the train rocking made uh, Jackson bang his head up and spurt well, blood everywhere yeah. on the mirror. But uh, I guess he's just rationalizing it. Like, of course there can't be a serial killer on this train. But, um, yeah, I, he's good. Um, he's the most classically you can tell. He's the most classically trained actor. He feels like an actor oh, in
1: this movie. but he is not. Hmm. Okay. Um... Ben Johnson Mm -hmm. was a rancher and a rodeo performer. (laughs) Okay. Who John Ford, as a director back in the late 40s, Mm -hmm. ordered a bunch of horses for a Western. Ben Johnson escorted them to Hollywood himself, like in City Slickers. Mm -hmm. And John Ford asked him to be a wrangler and a stunt double, which he did. For a couple years, then he went back to the rodeo, and he was a rodeo grand champion. And then he decided that he made more money in Hollywood. So he went back, and John Ford started putting him in supporting roles. He became good friends with John Wayne. And he did stunt work for John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, and Gary Cooper. And he started to pop up in roles. But he said he had trouble memorizing lines, so he always wanted supporting roles. Mm -hmm. Peter Bogdanovich wanted him uh, for the last picture show. And he fought it. He was working on a ranch because the Duke's and uh, uh, time had kind of gone. Jimmy Stewart's time had kind of gone. Gary Mm -hmm. Cooper's, you know, was dead. And so he was like, he read the script for the last picture show. He goes, ah, too many lines. Too many words. Mm-hmm. Don't want to do it. And finally, John Ford, the great director, John Ford, talked him into it because he was friends with Peter Bogdanovich. And so he did it and he won a Best Supporting Oscar Ford. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've never seen the, the, uh, the movie Last The Last Picture, Picture Show. Show.
1: It's amazing. Um, and Ben Johnson is incredible in it. He's a great actor, but he was never trained as an actor. He was a rancher. He was a rodeo guy.
0: Mm-hmm. maybe what I'm sensing is the fact that he was so immersed in that old Hollywood uh, with with yeah. people like John Ford or, and John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart maybe that's what I'm sensing that he's kind of like he's beyond his prime but still a very well versed actor he well, he, and he like went he,
1: on to do many movies after this mm-hmm. he's in Red Dawn in 1984 really? what part? Yeah. Uh, he's Mr. You Mason if you, have you seen Red Dawn from 1984? yeah yeah. OK. Do you remember when Patrick Swayze and C. Thomas Howell and, you know, all of them and Charlie Sheen, they go to visit a neighbor and he says, these are my nieces and it's Leia Thompson. And yeah, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he's yeah.
1: Mr. Mason. That's Mr. <laughs> Mason in Red Dawn. Cool. Yeah. He did movies into the 90s. Good for him. Yeah, he deserves it. He's a great actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's my favorite part of this movie.
0: Uh... What? Yeah. <laughs> I he's wouldn't go a that great far. great actor. good in it. Yeah, he's probably the best actor, but I think as far as characters go, I like Doc better, and David Copperfield is more interesting.
1: All right, let's talk about Doc. Um, Hart Bachner, the son of the legendary actor Lloyd Bachner, as Doc. Mm-hmm. He's probably best known to our listeners as Ellis from Die Harden. Yes, everybody hates Ellis. And according to the cast and crew, he's less likable than Ellis. <laughs> yeah, I believe. He's a jerk. He's just, a. Um, I mean. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why he hasn't more. It's not that he's not talented. I agree with you that he's talented. But he's so hard to get along with. He doesn't get a lot of work. Yeah
0: yeah i I believe it. and and just look, I mean, look at this guy's movies. He goes from everything from die hard to supergirl. So this guy's career has ranged a lot in quality. But um, and Urban I think he's
1: too, good. And, yeah.
0: yeah I think he's good in this movie. Uh, I think Doc is the closest we get to a real character. Um, because he's got range i mean when mo is is bleeding out he you can see he's really alarmed and crying for the well-being of his friend well, but then later on he's selfish he just wants to protect himself so he's got a range of
1: emotions more than james he does let's talk about him at mo mm-hmm. we're a family podcast but there is, is there a homosexual undertone there uh, I
0: don't know because they both have like girlfriends or girls that trail around them. But I, I would say that it's a little bit homoerotic. They are very close yeah. friends, and uh, and the the way that uh, Doc carries Mo and screaming like they had, they had a pretty good connection. I don't think they were lovers, but I, I think they were really good friends. And here's the thing: it's kind of hard to tell that because Doc and is kind of a jerk to Mo. He's kind of a jerk to everyone. But I, I feel like I that the reason that I I like Doc is because I feel like him reacting in that way you wouldn't expect him to react that way because of, he's so bored at the magic show he's trying to be all Mr. Cool and then when he realizes that Mo is dead he starts freaking out and that seems like a break of character for him but it just really gives him depth I feel like and then later on like I said he's really selfish and self-preserving and um, that, I think that's really interesting whereas Jamie Lee is kind of good natured and then later on she's good natured but scared and that's her entire character um, yeah. but I feel like Doc has some range where he's a jerk he's a smug jerk and then some Something breaks in his life, and he's just completely like frayed and and um, going crazy. He's like he's like it's his heart, it's his heart, and he's freaking out. And then later on, he's he's vicious and biting, and he locks everybody out, and he's trying to stay on the train while the rest of them die. Um, so yeah, I, I think he does a good job in this. He he seems to be really good at playing selfish frat boyish type guys, uh, and apparently that's but his real he... life
1: character. I was gonna say, is he really stretching? Because according to the cast and crew, he wasn't. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. Allegedly. I, well, I think. Um, yeah. the The most scene, the most scene shows me that he's got some range, and he's good and die hard. He's a love to love to hate him kind of guy. Um,
1: most. So of I don't. Hate know. Him. I mean.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. I mean, we hate to hate him, or I
1: guess would be the best way to put it. Um, yeah, but, I don't hate to hate him. I I, I didn't. I saw Die Hard in the theaters when I was 16 years old, and when Ellis was shot, sorry, spoiler alerts for Die Hard, <laughs> but I was like, okay, whatever. And let's, mm-hmm. you know, move on. I I I was really like upset when they shot, you know, uh Holly McLean's boss. Mm-hmm. He seemed like a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Hart Buckner.
0: Eh...
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's well, he's good.
0: He's, he's he's He feels very natural, and there's a reason for it, but uh, I, I still can't fault his performance just because of the way he acts in real life. I think he's good. I think Doc has some of the best lines in the movie. I can't remember any of them because I didn't write them down, but well, I was watching this.
1: Like, oh, okay, so if, if you know, which we know now, that Crispin Glover is allegedly, I don't want to get sued, crazy, and Crispin yeah. Glover is playing crazy, <laughs> is he really acting uh,
0: I, I don't know. Would you say he's bad in Friday the Thirteenth Part Four?
1: He's entertaining.
0: Yeah, that's I'm not okay. Sure that's the same that way I feel like about Doc.
1: He, I'm not sure it's great acting. It's entertaining. Yeah,
0: I'm just saying that Doc is the closest we get to a three D character out of all of these because he ah. displays a range of emotions and an implied past that the rest of the characters don't have. I think the fact that he's so smug, but then Breaks down so easily. I think that shows that he's one of those bully types that has had some traumatic past or whatever. There's definitely more to his character than, say, um, than Jamie Lee's character, or certainly not Mitchy or Mo. I mean, they have nothing going on basically. But um,
1: right. yeah, I don't like his performance in this movie. All right. So we also have the late great Vanity. In a small role as Mary. Um, she's probably best known in the 80s for The Last Dragon. Uh, also for dating both Prince and then Nikki Six. Wow. That? No. Wow. That's impressive. Remember her in the blue dress? She's the one with Jamie Lee at the end. It's like, let's get out of here. This is creepy. Uh, the very beautiful African American woman. That's that. Yeah, cute. I remember in this movie. I don't remember her dating Nikki six and, uh, um, she dated Nikki six. Uh, yes. Prince. And she also dated Prince. She had a band called yeah. vanity six that was produced by Prince. Uh,
0: uh okay, cool. Yep. Yeah,
1: she's got a song in the Beverly Hills cop soundtrack called nasty girl. And she is the love interest in the last dragon show enough. So, yeah. And her top picture on
0: IMDb is her with Sasquatch. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. a real thing. Didn't
1: know that, but
0: uh, yeah, it says it says Vanity and Tanya's Island from
1: 1980, and it's her with Sasquatch. Okay, didn't know that. So that's she, interesting. She unfortunately um, she eventually cleaned up. She was a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that's her how her and Nikki Six bonded. Um, but she eventually cleaned herself up, but not in time. She died of cirrhosis of the liver um yeah sad very sad she died very young she's very talented um uh, but i liked her in this movie
0: yeah she's good uh, again she doesn't have a lot to do very 2d character um but i do like the part where and she's the one who's like i just know that jackson's with another girl and like literally walks past the lizard costume guy with uh with right. Uh, right. that's her right yes. yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah. She doesn't have a she's lot. The the with she's the one when David okay. Copperfield
1: turns into a chair, raises her fingers to show seven, and all that. That's her. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. is good. her. She's, she's good in it.
1: Yeah, she is. She was. T- she was also in a poster I bought for you. She was in the movie Action Jackson with Carl Weathers. <laughs> oh, great. So, yeah, oh, that's not awesome. a great movie, but she she was very talented. Vanity was very talented. Like I said, she died of liver failure uh, several years ago because she couldn't, she was clean and sober for like 20 years, but it was too late. And so unfortunately, for mm-hmm. so rest in peace, Vanity. She was very talented. Um, yeah. Speaking of those who unfortunately passed away, not to bring this into a downer, but Sandy Curry, who played Mitchie, Right, died yeah. in 1996, and she mm-hmm. couldn't have been, she couldn't have even been in her 50s, maybe in her mid no. 40s. Yeah. I could not find anything online about her death or how old she mm-hmm. was when she passed. I read a, a a fairly recent interview with director Roger Spottiswood, and he didn't know she had passed. Mm-hmm. That's so awful. If anybody's out there listening who knows anything about Sandy Curry's life or death, because she had a very short career. She was in mm-hmm. this. She was also in Curtains, the slasher movie yes. Curtains yes. in eighty yeah. three. Um, but she basically quit acting in the late 80s, early 90s. And she died in 1996. And there's no information about her at all online.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. Um yeah, I that that is awful. She just kind of dropped off. That happens to people sometimes. Yep. Um. And that that is a sad. Oh, end I, I wish I, she had gone on to do more.
1: Absolutely, because I thought she was
0: fine in it, and I thought she was good. Yeah, curtains, she's. But... I I liked Mitchie. I like Mitchie more than um more than Mary. She had more character. I felt like um right. kind of a jerk because she's knowingly trying to sleep with Jackson, even though she's uh, even though Jackson is with um right uh, Mary and jackson is very very drunk so you could constitute that as a rape but uh but it turns out not to be jackson so i guess it's fine um yeah she's she's charming yeah. she
1: doesn't have a lot to do and she's killed from things, her perspective really. i'm not so sure as lord but anyway uh yeah but i i agree she is a uh i think she's she was a decent actress i mm-hmm. would really like to know what happened to her because i would like to give her props yeah um yeah so and this
0: was her first her first feature so um good oh, was job it okay. on that. all right
1: mm-hmm. i just knew she yep. was, a, is was her first
0: feature okay yep okay. terror Train was 1980 curtains was 83 and then her okay. last tv role this is the tv role was 88 on emergency room so um she didn't she pretty much late 80s she stopped
1: acting she looks um, very young in this i mean yeah, she i'm not saying and, like teenage young
0: but in like 20s young and so so yeah. she could not have been that old when she died no and um uh, vanity was, was what like 57 when she died in 2016 and she yeah. died and uh sandy curry died in in 1996 so i would say that she and i would say she was about the same age as vanity so yeah uh, what, what is that uh that's 20 years back so geez yeah. that's
1: that's really sad. So maybe in her thirties, maybe even early forties or late thirties. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah, sad. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so anything else about the plot or screenplay or kills you want to mention?
0: Uh, no, not that I j- just said the screenplay and the kills are not the strongest aspects in this movie for sure. That's not what you come to see this movie for. You come to see a slasher movie on the train.
1: Yeah. What did you think about the score Uh, I,
0: I, I never noticed it unless it was the, like the lounge kind of singers on the train and that I didn't mind, but it was very much of its time. It felt very 1979. Uh, The music, whenever David Copperfield is doing his routine felt very disco. Um, And that was fun, but I never noticed the original soundtrack throughout the entire thing. It wasn't distracting. So that's a good thing. That's always props. I can give to it. Even when I don't remember it, it wasn't distracting. So that's good. Whenever I scored, uh, distracts from the movie itself, that's when it's at its worst. When it's boring, that just means it's serviceable. And when it's iconic, that's the best thing you can get. But it didn't take me out of the experience. In fact, I'm sure it immersed me, since I didn't notice it, and I was immersed in the, in the movie. So, um, yeah, props to whoever, whoever did the soundtrack, but uh, I wouldn't buy the CD of this.
1: Alright, fair enough. So, some trivia before we get to our ratings and recommendations. Um, this was shot in a real train car, however, parked in a warehouse at night in freezing cold Montreal, okay with the crew yeah. shaking the train car when it needed to move
0: okay yeah that that that's that sucks so at least they shot it in a real train car but and I would imagine that I mean think about the logistics of actually having it, having it running on a track, how hard that would be for continuity and everything because yeah. every single shot you do you'd be at a different place. So, yeah, that, that I can understand why they did do that. But the fact that they actually shot it in a real train car, that's pretty cool. At least they could have done with heat it, though. I mean, come on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. wasn't uh, that, well heated, it gets,
1: apparently, but the producers mm-hmm. were pretty cheap, so, yeah.
0: There's only You can only heat a, a metal train in, in Montreal so well. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. you're going to be cold regardless. And especially with some of the outfits that those people were wearing at the costume party, well, especially Vanity.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, bless her heart, yeah. Um, would it surprise you that this flick is on Roger Ebert's list of most hated films of all time? That doesn't surprise me, but it makes me mad. Uh,
0: this movie does not deserve to be... I'm wondering why. He has a thing about violence against women, but men and women boast this movie. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think you would consider it. He sexy, gave a positive review
1: a to Friday the 13th remake in 2009. He, which had a lot of nudity and yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh,
0: odd. Very odd. And he gave he, a positive I,
1: review to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but that, I can understand why, I mean, that was kind of necessary for that movie. Here's the thing I I think he didn't like, was what he felt was unnecessary portrayal of women as weak and victims. Whereas with Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, you wouldn't have a movie like that. but Jamie Lee Um, Curtis
1: not weak in this movie.
0: No, no, and I, yeah, that's the thing I'm confused about. I don't understand what angle he's coming at. Maybe he thought it was just painfully mediocre, which I can understand from a non-horror fan. They'd be like, well, it's just another, it's just like Halloween, but it's well, on a train.
1: I but again, if, I will defend Roger Ebert. I do not think he was a non-horror fan. I agree that he's inconsistent, no. but he gave four out of yeah. four stars to Dawn of the Dead. Uh, right. Which was considered, which was not given a rating at the time, and he defended it. No. So it mm-hmm. only has a Rotten Tomato score of thirty six percent. That didn't surprise. Yeah, that's that's yeah that that's awful. It definitely deserves
0: higher than that. And um, yeah, I don't. But it has and, an and you think that you know
1: only thirty eight percent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that's awful. That that's wrong. That's just wrong. And that's that's how it is most of the time. I mean, like the general movie-going populace. You tell them to watch Terror Train, they're gonna be bored. They're gonna be like, "What is this? This is old." But it definitely deserves higher than even on IMDb with a five point nine. I would give it higher than a five point nine. Um, I think that it definitely. I mean, I'm surprised because Ebert loved Halloween, and that's another Jamie Lee Curtis early flasher. What did? What in this did he hate it? But why could that would be different than Halloween? I, I really don't understand. I know it's well, not as artfully I think he made. Just thought Halloween was yeah. That,
1: I think that was his big thing, as he thought Halloween was just better made, which it is. I mean, but you have Dean Koontz Absol- and John Carpenter. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and
0: this this definitely is not Halloween. Um, nor would I say is it even as charming as like Friday the Thirteenth. Um, but there it still has its place. It's not a bad movie. I wouldn't put it on my hated list. Um, right. if I were to make a, a list of all the slashers I've seen, um, just as you have, I would probably put this in my top 50 somewhere. It's no April Fool's Day. It's no My Bloody Valentine, no Friday the 13th, no Halloween. But, uh, I mean, it's it's better than I would say it's better than prom night. I would say it's better than, um, Well, it's definitely better than like Halloween Resurrection.
1: It's better than prom night. I'm I'm starting to come around that it's better than prom night. I agree with that.
0: Um, Yeah, and my it moves along at such a quick pace. I mean, I know we have those party scenes, but like really, those are just those like here and there. Honestly, I think that prom night in some parts is really boring. It's got a lot of talking in it. When it's good, it's good. But this movie is just pretty good throughout, and um, it's a fun, cozy watch. That's how I would describe it.
1: Yeah, and it's 97 minutes with credits. It's not long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it's got opening
0: and closing credits. Yeah.
1: Right. Does it surprise you this was not a box office smash?
0: Uh, uh no. Doesn't surprise me one bit. I mean, it was kind of I mean, Jamie Lee was kind of carrying this movie in the box office, right? I mean, you saw her in Halloween, now see her on a train and Terror Train. Um and I don't think the marketing for this helped. Um, I've read some of the taglines for this movie, and yes. they are all terrible. They are all the worst taglines ever. Really? Let me
1: read. Because Gilbert one. Godfrey thinks one of the taglines is the best ever.
0: What? Which one? I'm looking at the five on IMDb, and I saw another yeah, one. Go ahead. Read,
1: one. read them. Read them. Read okay. the
0: taglines. Experience the most terrifying ride of your life on the terror train. Don't waste money on a return fare. You won't be coming back. A nightmare journey to hell. All aboard, if you dare. Terror wears many disguises. All of them deadly. And the boys and girls of Sigma Phi. Some will live, some will die.
1: That's his favorite, that last one.
0: It's fine. It rhymes, I guess. I mean. (laughs) He loves that one. Gilbert (laughs) Godfrey loves that one. I would say out of all those terror wears many disguises, all of them deadly would be the best one. But none of them are great. I mean, it's, I it's, they're all very
1: vague. He disagrees. I um, mean, I agree. It's not like the thing, which is like, what is it like? Humans are the warmest, you know, whatever, you know, or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, who will survive and what will be left of them, or you know, yeah, I get that. That's great. Mm-hmm. We need to do a bonus episode on taglines sometime.
0: Yeah, and look at the poster too. I mean, you got the Groucho Marx guy over top of a wide shot of the train. It's not even like the full train. It's like a compartment of the train. It's it's just lousy marketing, I would say. And again, and Jamie Lee Curtis is no Laurie Strode in this movie. Uh, whatever, what's her name? Uh, Elena is yep. no Laurie Strode. And I think that's a major part. She's not as good in this as she is in Halloween, and she was the one carrying this in the marketing, I would imagine, after Halloween was such a, a uh, kind of like a, a hit. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I can understand why this wasn't a big hit and why it was a disappointment for some.
1: All right. Well, okay, so, what do you think the budget of this movie was, if you had to guess? I'm going to go 2 million. 3.5 million. Hmm. Okay. Uh, it, I'm, I'm trying to... Okay, go ahead. What do you think it made, box office-wise? Uh, uh, uh,
0: you, said, you said it didn't do well, so I'm going to say it made 1.5 million.
1: No, it made money, but not a lot. It made uh, okay. 8 million. So uh, the conventional yeah. method back then was if you spent 3.5 million to make it it would, it would cost 3.5 million to, to market, market it. it. Right. So yeah. it so made a so billion dollars in profit. Yeah, not, not
0: great. Not compared to Halloween, which was made Not for like, compared what, to $8 Halloween $8 or Friday
1: the 13th, right. Yeah. But it was a hit on video. Mm-hmm. I do know that. So all right, what else do we want to talk about? Um,
0: uh, let me see. Uh, this movie is, is uh very Canadian. I don't think we've addressed that yet. I kind of really? touched on that with my all right. Bill's gonna, Canada Bill's gonna hear Fund. about
1: this. What is yeah. very Canadian? About? Yeah, there's no Tim Hortons that I can see, I mean, so tell me what. Well,
0: any, time anybody says sorry, they say sorry or oh, or like you can definitely, especially Mo. Mo has a Canadian accent like crazy. Right. Um, the whole the culture of it is very canadian it does not feel american at all uh it feels very very canadian and i can just see uh even the canada...
1: budweiser
0: right i mean you can get budweiser in canada i mean that's right. not necessarily right. an american thing
1: all right I'll i would say if they, you know were, if they were if they were i'm sure if, you're right go ahead
0: if they were, they were drinking like like Bud Lights, that would be a very American thing. But anyways, um, yeah. Uh, and it, by the way, I can I imagine that.
1: Timothy Weber, who played Mo, was born in Saint John's, Newfoundland, Canada. So you got that right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He's very Canadian. There's one part where he's talking to Elena, and he's apologizing for uh, him saying that the party was his idea when it was really Doc's, and he says look, Elaine, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And you're like, oh, wow, he's very Canadian. Um, but uh, I can imagine I don't imagine think that you know Canadian, what you're talking about. A, <laughs> a boot. Yes. <laughs> Out in a boot. Yeah. I love a Canadian accent. But, I, you know, back in the, in the 70s and 80s... We're just giving you crap, We so no, he want Go ahead.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I I love Bill's voice. Can I just say really quick that Canadian... He's and He's got a radio accents,
1: voice, man. He should do a metal show.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree for sure. Um, but uh, back in the 70s and 80s, the Canadian Tourism Board were really trying to like sell Canada as an awesome right. place. They're like, come shoot movies here. Canada's awesome. Make it look awesome. I'd imagine they were not very happy with this movie. <laughs> you get on a cold train yeah. and you get murdered. You stand out in the snow, and they say if you tried to walk well, back to town, you'd die. The years in the cold. before
1: that, they, they financed Cronenberg films like Shivers, The Brood and rabbit, So this is pretty but tame they, compared to that.
0: I guess so. But I, I think at this time with Canadian movies, they're trying to push the, Oh, it's just like America. It's nice and warm, but it's very picturesque and beautiful. Well, and you like, have Tommy Lee's
1: buddy dressed up as uncle Sam, right?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Doing a great uh, impression. there, talking about <laughs> the government or whatever. Not really. They, they hold on him for a long time. Don't they? I he do. was really proud of that impression.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: do. But like prom night does not feel as cold and Canadian as this. And this was shot in Canada. That was shot in Canada as well. I think that was one that I would be more happy with. They're like, yeah, look, it's just like America, except it's real sunny and whatever. Um, Yeah, but this one I'd imagine they weren't very happy with. Um, But yeah, uh, I don't know. I would like to go see the warehouse where they shot (laughs) Terror Train. Be like, the train was right there. Can't you see it? Uh, Well, the train is actually
1: on display somewhere, but it's like somewhere in Arizona. Because it was an actual working train, but they retired it. And it's like somewhere in Arizona somewhere. But yeah, we got a lot of trips to make when COVID is over. The first trip we have to make, obviously, is we have to have a joint meetup with H&P and LOTC and so forth in Texas we need to go to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sites in Texas. Agreed. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um,
0: yeah, I can't wait to have a huge podcast meetup. That's that's the thing I'm looking forward to most. Absolutely. When COVID is over, and yeah. I would love to. We've driven past it before, and you've seen it, but I would love to see the Maximum Overdrive Green Goblin truck, which you've seen on several occasions, and you know the oh, guy. Oh, I've who, seen uh, it in
1: my t- rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. Because the guy who owns it five minutes away from me. I've seen him driving it behind me. Yeah. Terrifying. I would imagine that your heart
0: sank a little bit. um But now, yeah, so I, yeah I would love to see that of you. Well. And I was like,
1: uh, <laughs> was there any, or, you <laughs> know, Yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to <laughs> stop <laughs> over and see if an ATM called me an a hole. But anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, or a uh, or a vending machine is going to shoot cans out at you. No, thank yeah. you. Customer um, would
1: shoot. I don't want to be there. But anyway.
0: Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Oof. Um, yeah. Well, let's see. What else do I have to say about this movie? Uh th- it's one of those movies that's weird because it came out in 1980 but it still feels very 70s. Same thing you could say about Friday the 13th. All the outfits and everything are still on that like the cusp of the 70s, all the hairstyles and everything. Because it was filmed in the seventies, so it makes sense. And I feel like the early eighties as well were kind of a holdover from the seventies as far as style and everything goes. There was still that wood paneling aesthetic and everything, like the Atari consoles that came out. Those were still wood paneled, even though it was the eighties. So it's one of those weird movies that you show it to people and they can't really tell if it's seventies or eighties. It's either a really well shot seventies movie or a really low budget eighties movie. And right. uh, I guess I mean, well, I it was shot way. in
1: seventy nine, came out in the 80s, So yeah, right, yeah, right
0: um so yeah i mean that's that's i i think it's it's not scary i don't think it's suspenseful same same ways i watch it more for entertainment just like oh this is fun it's it's kind of like a party college movie set on a train with Groucho Marx and a lizard man killing people. Um, so that's that's just that's the thing that draws you in. It's fun to watch around this time because you feel it as well. It's it's New Year's. It's snowy outside. It's cold. So let's cuddle up and watch uh, Terror Train. That's the the general vibe I get from it. Um, but this isn't a masterpiece. I'm not going to put this up on the same level as Texas Chainsaw or Halloween. No. Um, no, I- but it's still. It's still an interesting uh, uh, view into the past and into a time. Yeah, for sure. I I think it's the same as like, I don't know, like, like pieces or something where it's not like a masterpiece, but you're like, this is really fun to watch and rewatch.
1: Pieces is much more bonkers, um, but I I agree. It's still, it's still fun. It's not as bonkers as pieces, like where you have uh, Mm the, you know, karate guy just jump out in the middle of, you know, in front of Linda Day George and, you know, that, that I mean, good lord! But I I agree with and the ending of pieces. What we'll cover, you know, we'll we'll talk about that more at some time. We God need to do like we need to do like a bonus episode about bonkers horror movies that we love. But anyway, uh, for our patreons. But anyway, I think it's fun. Would you Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, definitely. That's the main. Yeah, definitely. My rating will reflect my enjoyment of it as well as the technical aspects. But you gotta understand that. If you're just watching this, is like, oh, is this a masterpiece? No, you're going to be disappointed. This is a slasher movie. That's what it
1: is. I agree. So what is your rating and recommendation for Terror Drain?
0: I think if the kills had been more creative and if Jamie Lee's uh, character, her lead character, had been given more interesting things to do or say, this would be an easy 8 for me. But as is, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Um, I think the setting is really interesting. The lighting is good. Uh, The killer is creepy, especially when he's unmasked at the end, Um, and he has motivation, that makes sense, Um, but the kills themselves, they're pretty mediocre, they're pretty tame, and the lead character is pretty bland, so 7 out of 10 for me. I would recommend streaming it on Prime uh, in celebration of this New Year's, but this is one that I don't think I could watch more than once a year, so um, that's my recommendation and rating. What do you have to say?
1: I like the film, I think it's fun, it has its flaws early slasher not a top tier one i'm not like you i'm not going to put it up there with halloween or scream but or whatnot but i give it also a seven out of ten i think it's fun i call it a rental or stream and like you said it's streaming on amazon prime here in the united states so if you have it watch it it's worth that that's where i'm going i agree yeah so, folks, we appreciate all of our listeners. We especially appreciate our Patreon supporters. And you can become one for as little as $2.50 a month by going to Patreon.com and search for Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. All the money goes to the son. I make nothing off of it. Uh, we can be found at Father and on Twitter as Horror. And we have a closed Facebook group now with more than 50 members. We have a YouTube page, right, buddy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with uh, new videos coming. There you go. So where can they find you, pal? Uh,
0: On Twitter, you can find me at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. Uh, You can also find me on Letterboxd at Kane Hero, one word. And uh, I have a feeling that we're going to be watching a lot of 2020 movies at the end of this month and end of January. So be looking out for that. I'm going to be reviewing a lot of movies in preparation for our top 10 of the year. So that'll be really exciting and um yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun. Check me out there. As as said before, new videos coming to the Father and Son Watch Horror Movies uh YouTube uh page, but also on the Patreon. Uh you get those a week early and also exclusive content like bonus pods. And yeah. I uploaded a short film, a horror short film to Patreon with both a director's intro and like a uh, debrief essentially after it, and a director's commentary. So if you want to check that out, you can become a patron and join in on the conversation. So thank you so much for listening
1: absolutely and we are building up to our top 10 best horror movies for 2020 one of my favorite things we do every year yeah uh cannot wait absolutely we may drop another episode before that so we feel comfortable Mm. with making such a list i'm around 40 horror movies from 2020 you're around what 20 some 25 yep 25 okay so we'll get there but We have a few episodes planned with some of our fellow Mm -hmm. podcasters and members of the horror fam. Um, One snow-based horror movie podcast coming up in the near future with the guys from the Real Talk movie podcast. Um, That should drop in late January or February. So, say goodbye to the good people.
0: Goodbye, and remember to always be suspicious of magicians.
1: Always. Especially their assistants.
0: So, yeah. Thanks for listening, and
1: until next time, remember that the family that watches horror movies together, sleep.